did you miss us? Say you missed us. Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. We are back from vacation and ready to talk about creepy stuff with you. We've missed you. I hope you've missed us. Desperately. Yeah. Desperately. That wasn't creepy at all. (laughs) (laughs) We're starting out on the right foot here. (laughs) Always. Always. (laughs) Did you miss us? Are you uncomfortable yet? Did you miss us? Say you missed us. <laughs> we thought about you the entire time. I mean, we we did. We did. <laughs> Part of our sabbatical hiatus <laughs> was going on vacation together where we talked about True Creeps a lot. Yeah. And if you want to hear about our vacation, we are going to discuss it at the end of the episode. Yeah. So stick around for after the credits. Yeah. But... Just a little taste of it. We learned some spooky stuff. We learned some weird stuff. And we learned some history while we were on our vacation. And it was wonderful. Also, Amanda learned that photos of me don't work. I simply cannot be captured on film. I simply cannot. Photos do not work on vacation. Somehow she loses three inches of hair in the middle of her scalp. I only can have a scowl. Like, it's a strange thing that happens. I'm just not me because I'm a cryptid. You are the cryptid. I'm my own cryptid. Of Zoha. I am the cryptid of Zoha. You're welcome. <laughs> Today, we are going to be talking about Lake Lanier. And one of our Patreons, Lexi, actually recommended today's topic. So thank you so much, Lexi, because it was a very interesting thing to research. I didn't know anything about the lake. I knew it existed, and that was it. And now we were like, tell us more. Yeah, I felt like I thought that we were going to see some like general lake stuff, but there was a lot more history and there was a lot more mayhem than I thought would have happened at a place that people frequent to have fun. And it's open to the public. Yeah. I was like, oh, we choose this? Like, as the people, we choose this? We, we, like, we know, but we don't care? Okay, okay. Yeah, you want to go to there. Okay. Like, just a lot of that, like, hmm. I like to think that they don't know the history. How could you not? I like to think that they don't know the history. <laughs> I like to live in a dream world, is what Amanda says. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just as a general note, Lake Lanier is, is a man-made lake. So we're going to talk about the history of the area before Lake Lanier was there. And we'll get into why, but it's just very interesting. And some suggest that it's not just the town's worth of debris that are at the bottom of the lake and kind of floating around that create the hazard from the lake, but also that the history of what's happened there has like an inexplicable darkness. And that lots of people say when they go there, they just feel off. And this really reminds me of the Bridgewater Triangle in that way, because people talk about the darkness that was there because of all of the bloodshed. Right. And similar to the Bridgewater Triangle, the first instance of darkness that like we are aware of was rooted in the oppression of Native Americans and specifically in the expulsion of the Cherokee Nation. So Forsyth County in Georgia was 
part of the Cherokee Nation. In an 1819 treaty between the United States and the sovereign Cherokee Nation, the Cherokee Nation, which spanned through several southern states, was guaranteed to be off limits to white settlers forever. Didn't happen. Bullshit. Yeah, clearly, right? Like, ugh. So at the start of the 1830s, there was almost 125,000 Native Americans throughout the southeast of America. And when we say southeast, we mean Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, the Carolinas, and Florida. So Native Americans have been living on and cultivating the land in the southeast of the United States for years, right? And it's millions of acres that we're talking about. So it's this massive expanse. Right. Which I, it's kind of hard for me to even conceptualize like how much space that is. When we say millions of acres. Yeah. So white settlers wanted to grow cotton on the land where the Native Americans lived. And presumably, and as we know, they wanted to do this with the forced labor of slaves. So in order to gain access to lands generally, white settlers throughout the colonies were generally fucking awful. They would steal and kill livestock. They would burn and loot homes. They would squat on the land and kind of intimidate people off of it. And they would also commit mass murder for land. Horrific. And it wasn't for land so that they could live off of it. It was so that they could produce commodities to sell. Yes. So then in 1830, President Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act, which empowered the federal government to force Native nations within state borders across the Mississippi River to land that had been designated as Indian territory. Despite the treaty, the Cherokee were forced from their land when the white settlers wanted to begin growing cotton on the land. But the designated territory was hundreds of miles and across the Mississippi River, roughly 800 miles in total from the furthest point. They were forced to walk to the new territory. Disgusting. Absolutely. I mean, there was parts where they like also took boats, but like the majority, yeah, seemed to have to make that trek. Yeah. Exactly. And so just to get like a sense for how Native Americans were viewed at this time, President Andrew Jackson, when addressing Congress about Native Americans, said they have neither the intelligence, the industry, the moral habits, nor the desire of improvement, which are essential to any favorable change in their condition. Established in the midst of another and a superior race, they must necessarily yield to the force of circumstance and err before long disappear. And so that really does sum up kind of what people expected of Native Americans as they pushed them onto reservations. The idea was that they would eventually give up their entire culture and just assimilate into like white colonies, which is disgusting. And also like just generally like, fuck you. Right, right. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. So around this time, there were approximately 17,000 Cherokee living in the South. That's a lot. Yeah. So the first 2,000 Cherokee to relocate did so voluntarily in 1837 and in 1838. And there were still casualties. And an estimate is less than 25, but still, none of that should have happened at all. No. So President Martin Van Buren dispatched 7,000 troops beginning in late May of 1938, who were placed under the command of General Winfield Scott. He gathered the remaining Cherokee people as well as slaves and freed Black people. They were all herded into wooden stockades and put into internment camps. Children were often separated from their parents during this. Elderly and sick people were poked with bayonets so they would move faster as they were taken into the stockades. Disgusting. It's absolutely heartbreaking to hear like what people have gone through over land. And like thinking about it in today's view too, like over land, we still have a lot of horrific things that come up and like where you're born. It's disgusting and sad and 
frustrating. When we were reading this, a lot of the descriptions that we saw was that they were treated like animals. And I simply do not understand how someone gets in their head that it is okay to treat another human being as though they are an animal. Right? It doesn't make any sense. And the only thing I can see is like, they didn't see them as humans. Well, yeah, and that's very clear. But I'm like, I just don't get how you get there. Well, you can look at somebody who has the capability to like, think, feel, and exist in a world in a similar way to you. Yeah. And you know that they could like, be you and you could be them. But you think that because they don't adhere to your way of life and your belief system that they're they're below you. Yeah, they're below you. But like they're subhuman. Like that's wild to me. Yeah. It scares me that people can think like that, you know, like and look at a person or children, you know, like there's children part of this and just be like, yeah, we're better than them. We're going to take over this. We're going to do this. We're going to move them. We're going to put them in cages. It's happening today. Right. Like it still happens today. Yeah. I mean, it happens today. And also in that same vein, as like a very wealthy country, Mm -hmm. so many of our people live in poverty with inadequate access to just basic needs. And the fact that we go "Mm, work harder, do this, do that so that you can eat. Yeah. Like what about the kid that was born into this family who didn't choose to? Mm-hmm. Right. They don't they didn't choose to be there. They didn't choose to exist. Right. Are they responsible for this? <laughs> it just it, it doesn't it defies logic. It does. This child must be born, yet they do not deserve their basic needs to be met. It defies all kind logic. It doesn't even have to be kind logic, just logic. Just plain logic. I say kind logic because like I generally think that like all humans deserve basic rights. Yeah. And that's like base kindness is like people are fucking people. Yeah. It just blows my mind that like we look at this and we're like saying all this in horror, like they did this to these people. And it's just we're not far off, you know, like in certain aspects of what we do today in certain situations that Mm -hmm. have been in the news in the last few years, uh, especially where I am. But it's just absolutely disgusting. Agreed. So as the people were forced to move, they were herded together in large groups and forced to sleep on the ground, even when there was things like wind and rain and, you know, different weather happening around them. The internment camps, not surprisingly, were dirty. So measles, dysentery, and whooping cough spread throughout the Cherokee population. So this is happening in late spring, early summer, right, of 1838. And by the summer of 1838, it's sweltering. So there was a forced suspension of the relocation until it got a little bit cooler out. And at that point, General Scott agreed to let the Cherokee Nation oversee the exodus of the Cherokee people under an agreement. But by this time, 200 Cherokees had died. The continued trek meant that they ended up traveling in the dead of winter. So there was snow and ice on their journey. And as Amanda mentioned before, it's not as though they had like better accommodations. With the Cherokee Nation overseeing the move, there was some improvements, but it was still a really rough. You were traveling hundreds of miles in the 1800s in the dead of winter. There's only so humane that can be. Right. So... One Confederate soldier who was part of the efforts to force the Native nations from their homes said, I fought through the Civil War and saw men shot to pieces and slaughtered by the thousands. But the Cherokee removal was the cruelest work I ever knew. I'm saying something. 
Exactly. And so during the journey, over 4,000 Native people died. The Cherokee and other nations discussed this journey as the trail where they cried, which one of the things that we referenced when we were researching this was literature that was written by Native people. So that's how we have this. But commonly, we generally refer to this as the Trail of Tears. And the reason why we're talking about it today is because from what we understand, the most southeast origin of the Trail of Tears is now under Lake Lanier. Yeah. Yeah. So a portion of it, when we were saying, you know, the the area itself has a darkness, this might have been where some of it started. Exactly. So let's talk about another place that ended up under Lake Lanier. And that's Oscarville in Forsyth County, Georgia. And until 1912, there was roughly 1,100 Black land and business owners in Forsyth County. At the time, many white landowners were under intense economic stress, and they were losing their land to foreclosure. Patrick Phillips, who wrote Blood at the Root, a racial cleansing in America, did a bunch of research into what happened in Forsyth County and, in particular, Oscarville. In early September of 1912, Ellen Grice reported that she had awoken to a black man in her bed. Scholars suggest that the first black man found in proximity to the crime scene was arrested. As a result, a well-known minister in the area, Grant Smith, was whipped in the town square. He was nearly lynched. Other accounts of the story say that there was another man, or that when she was caught in bed with a black man, she said it wasn't consensual. Disgusting. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. So shortly after, on September 9th of 1912, 18-year-old May Crow was found raped, bloody, and unconscious on the banks of the Chattanoochee River in Oscarville, a village in Forsyth County. May had been beaten and suffered head injuries. Her injuries were so severe that she was in a coma and she was taken to her family's home. Because again, this was 1912. And, you know, it was quite a minute ago that we talked about Velisca, but one of the things that we mentioned was just where medicine was at that time. And it was very rudimentary. It was, you know you're in your home being treated by a doctor versus big medical facilities. Unfortunately, May died two weeks later. So the night of May's funeral were the first accounts of white mobs that became known as night Riders, who began to burn down black churches and businesses as well as homes. Four black people were accused of the crime. Robert, known as Big Rob Edwards, who was 24, his wife, I've seen trusty Jane Daniel and then just Jane Daniel, so we'll be calling her Jane, who was just 22, Jane's brother, Oscar Daniel, who was 18, and Jane and Oscar's cousin, Ernest Knox, who was just 16. The only evidence that I've seen in any capacity was that they were Black and they existed close to where May had been found. The day after Big Rob was arrested, he was murdered by a white mob who came to his cell. They beat him with crowbars, dragged him through the streets, and then they hanged him from a telephone pole outside of the coming courthouse. Then people shot him. Multiple people. Rumors spread quickly in the area about rapes of white women committed by black men. So people started acting as though this was a thing that was happening all of the time because there were these two instances. One where we don't know what necessarily what happened to Ellen. And the second where May was a victim. We just don't know who did it. And they assumed it was black people because they were racists. So then they were like, well, if they both did this, then this is a problem. But they had no proof that it was black people doing this. So white mobs demanded that all black residents of Forsyth County leave. And again, they were burning down churches and businesses as well as homes. The black residents left and the white people in the community took their property. And we'll get into more on that in a little bit, but it's pretty fucking terrible. 
In some instances, they would intimidate the families out of their homes by coming onto the property and killing their animals. Some of the Black landowners were able to sell their land, but at a severe disadvantage. In at least one instance, they found records where the landowner sold it for one third of what they had bought it for just, you know, within the past few years. Some lost their property by adverse possession. And in case you don't know what adverse possession is, it's a legal mechanism for claiming another person's land. And statutes on how to adversely possess someone's land vary by jurisdiction, but some elements can include the unhidden use of the land and the exclusive use of the land. Per Phillips, whom Anna mentioned earlier, at this time, the time period to adversely possess land in Forsyth was just seven years. So still others may have lost their property, neither by unfair sales or adverse possession. The land may have been sold and transferred because the county clerk didn't question the sale of the property. And so just a note in case you aren't a land record scholar. When you go to buy a house, one of the things that should happen is that they should see if the person selling the house can sell the house. And one of the ways they do that is they look at the recorded documents that are on file at the county clerk's office. The county clerk should, when they are recording documents of sale or transfer, review them and make sure that they look legitimate. Yeah. So say... Amanda decides that she's going to try to sell my house. When they go to record the deed, the county clerk should go, how? Why do you get to do this? Why do you get to sell her house? Right? So that you can't just sell someone's house out from underneath of them. But that didn't happen here. Elliot Jaspin, who wrote Buried in Bitter Waters, said only 24 of the 58 Black land owners were able to sell their properties. So that means that 34 received nothing for their lands. And so as we know, as Amanda mentioned, as we started discussing this Oscarville, Oscarville is now under Lake Lanier. And so we're going to talk about the process of like how the land was acquired. Yeah. But someone made money off of these lands. And from what it seems like, at least in 34 cases, which is more than half, it wasn't the people who owned the land. Right. So it's interesting how that property transfer went through because presumably, again, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but it was government officials who were buying the land. So the government was looking at these transfers and went, okay, suspicious. So back to the discussion of May's case. So Jane ended up, the charges against her were dismissed. Ernest Knox and Oscar Daniel were both tried and convicted on the same day for May's death. All of the juries in both cases were white. The presiding judge, Newt Morris, which we'll talk about him in another second, but he's a piece of garbage, ordered that the young men be hung outside, although public executions were illegal at that time. Morris ordered a 15-foot fence be erected between the public and the gallows, and they called it a blind. But just the fence was destroyed the night before. And in my brain, I'm like, then you build another fence, right? Like, you just build another fence. Right. Yeah. But they didn't. The execution proceeded anyway. Of course not. 5,000 people came to watch these boys be hanged. Some took souvenirs from the gallows, like pieces of the noose. I also saw some accounts where they talked about, like, in the records books of, like, the case that in as a bookmark on those pages, there were pieces of the noose. Terrific. And, you know, I mentioned that the judge, Newt Morris, was a piece of garbage. Three years later after this, he participated in the lynching of Leo Frank in Atlanta. So sometimes judges don't have the people's best interest at heart. You don't say. Hmm. So Phillips looked into the case to see if he could find evidence of the arrest indictment, of documents from the prosecutions, of anything for either case. So for either the rape and murder of May or the sexual assault of Ellen, he couldn't find anything. 
And when talking about what made Forsyth County unique and like, why is it that these night riders, these white mobs were able to drive out the entire black community? And Phillips notes that one of the key differences between Forsyth and other locations like Hall County is that in Hall County, after these night riders were creating fucking havoc and were doing atrocious crimes, they were sentenced to jail time and their names were published in the newspaper. So there were repercussions for how they terrorized the black community. But that wasn't the case in Forsyth. Right. And so, again, Oscarville is one of the communities that was flooded to create Lake Lanier. And Forsyth County, only part of it is under Lake Lanier. Other parts of it are very affluent. But even now, the population of Forsyth County is only approximately 4% black people. Wow. Yeah, just knowing all of the horrible things that have happened before this was even a lake. Yeah. And then they're like, you know what we'll do here? Let's put a lake here. Yeah. You know what we'll do? Let's have people have barbecues here and play on their boats. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's probably few places in America that are spared some sort of darkness from the fucking countless atrocities committed by white people. Like, I hate it. And I hate that that's fucking true. But like, it seems like this area got its fair share of it. Got its fair share. And I mean, like, it's interesting because when you talk about Lake Lanier and when you look it up and when you're researching it, when people talk about like, maybe there's something wrong with it. They talk about this history like, Mm -hmm. like there's a darkness here, right? Like there's something off. And when we were researching, you see people commenting on articles. And a lot of times people are saying things like, I've been there before. It feels really off. Yeah. I'm not from Georgia, but I know not to go to Lake Lanier. Or why are people going here? And it's like, I can't imagine that I could find joy in a place that had this type of darkness. Right. Or people are very unaware. Yeah. And like what I understand, too, now there's like a Margaritaville water park. Nonsense. Yeah. So people have died at Margaritaville, from what I understand. Because people are dying left and right there. But we'll get to it. Yeah. So let's talk about the creation of the lake itself. The lake is northeast of Atlanta in Buford, Georgia. Oh, Buford. And it's spelled like Buford. Oh, we met a man named Buford at our own vacation. It was very nice. And his girlfriend, Jessica. Mm-hmm. She seemed nice. So the lake was named after Sidney Lanier. And he wrote the song of Chattahoochee. And just a little bit more on him because... There is a lot of information about who he was. And he was a private in the Confederate Army and was also a prisoner of war for four months. There's a lot of debate on how he felt about slavery, but in the end, he did fight for the Confederates. Uh, He was around 19 years old when he did. And the thing about him is a lot of people don't really discuss him because of his ties to the Confederate Army, but because of what he did after his time in the Army. And he was more of like an artsy kind of dude. He was more known for his writing, his poetry, and his music. So not only is this lake, Lanier, named after him, there's another one also named after him. And I saw a handful of schools as well. And currently, as I was looking, some of these schools are having discussions on changing the name of the school due to his ties in the Confederate Army. But they're arguing that, no, we didn't name it after that. It was because he was a poet or because he was a writer or a musician, not because he was in the Confederacy. I feel like most of the time, too, I don't know enough about him to have any strong opinion either way. And it's kind of hard to find, in my opinion, a clear answer on was he a racist or was he a person who lived in the South? 
Yeah, because like at sometimes he mocked it, but then others like he still fought though. So it's like, what you doing? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like his name being used is a little bit different than other instances of Confederate soldiers' names being used because often they're being celebrated for their role in the Confederacy. Yeah. But he's being celebrated because his artistic achievements. And so my personal belief is that if you fought as a Confederate, you fought as a Confederate, period. Right. And I mean, at that time, 19, like, it's not like a 19 year old that we know today, right? Like a 19 year old was a full fledged adult that was making their family decisions most of the time by that time. Right. So, yeah, exactly. And like, again, it's not from our reading immediately clear that he was like disavowing the Confederacy after he left. Like, I saw parts where he was like, oh, I've grown a little bit, but nothing that outright said I shouldn't have done that. And so. Right. Absent that, I have a hard time. And while we're at it, there is no Confederacy that was simply fighting for secession because the reason that they wanted to secede was so that they could keep slaves. Yeah. All right. So getting back to our discussion on the creation of Lake Lanier, as of now, from what we see, it is open all day, every day. It hosts over 11 million visitors each year and has more than 690 miles of shoreline. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers created the lake to generate power and to provide water to Atlanta and the surrounding communities. Lisa Russell who's a historian who wrote Underwater Ghost Towns of North Georgia, did extensive research on the creation of Lake Lanier. Most of the farmland that was purchased had been owned within families for several generations. 56,000 acres were sold to the government from 700 families. It's a lot of land. The families would later find that the amounts they were paid was not enough to live off of, which we know that because they were barely making anything from it. If anything. So the lake was created in the 1950s by flooding the communities in the valley. Big things that would cause issues were removed. So think of like trees, giant barns, and even bleachers from an auto racing track near Gainesville. So like the track under the water, but like they were concerned with anything that might potentially float. So they took only that away. So it wasn't cleared out is what I'm trying to say. What they did is they were like, this is what we can clear that makes sense. The rest will just flood. It'll be fine. And because so much was left, as the water recedes, it's starting to cause problems. And because all of this debris, right, like it, it's piling up, it seems to be more problematic now because the lake is being used for recreation. Originally, it was not intended for that purpose. And so now, like with random things coming up and floating up that was just flooded, it's causing some issues. Also, because there's so much stuff in this lake, it makes searching for bodies very difficult. Haunting. And also just like if you're navigating the lake in and of itself, the depth can range from shoulder deep on an average adult to 30 feet deep the next step. And can you imagine just like casually walking and then you're just, you know what I mean? Like you're down and you didn't get a chance to take a breath. And then what if your bathing suit or something you're wearing gets caught on the debris that's below? It's a bad mixture. So it's not surprising that the communities that were flooded would have cemeteries. And that's just one of the many reasons that people think that the lake is actually cursed is because there are so many cemeteries underneath. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers removed mark graves, but per Caesar Yavor, the spokesman of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, it's possible that unmarked graves were inadvertently left. And he suggests that there may have been unmarked graves from the Civil War 
war from when Native Americans lived there, from pre-colonial times and ancient times. And Russell, who we talked about a moment ago, also notes that it's likely that the graves of slaves were not moved because they wouldn't have been marked with traditional gravestones. So there's also probably many slave graves there as well. In addition to people saying there's a general darkness because of the cemetery, some people also say that they hear bells coming up through the water. But Yabor also said that the claims of church bells being submerged are baseless because there were no structures that were tall like that that were left because they pulled them out because it would float, especially something that like held like a bell, like a bell would like pop up, right? It would. Yeah. I wonder if something else, though, like maybe there's something else there. Well, yeah, there could be something that's like hollow and metal where another big hollow metal piece hits it. I don't know if it would have the same lovely sound as a bell, but distorted by water, it could probably sound a little bit more toned, if you would. Yeah. Or that would be like the closest thing that you could think it sounds like. Yeah. So we've talked with a terrible history of the land where Lake Lanier was. We've talked about how Lake Lanier was created and how it wasn't really made with foresight of people being in the lake, which is very clear. So it's no surprise that there's been mayhem at the lake. That's my way of describing it, because I don't know how else to describe over 700 deaths since 1950 and hundreds and hundreds of boating accidents. In our research, we did not find a a source that lists every single person that died at Lake Lanier. We also couldn't find statistics that covered everything. Because a lot of times the statistics that are available are for boating accidents. So they're not looking at people who were swimming and drowned. They're not looking at people who were like walking in the water and drowned. They're looking at boating specific accidents. And so as we're researching, it's just kind of one-off articles. But there were a few deaths that stood out, especially in recent years, as far as like accidents at a lake. I do want to say we do know many, many lakes all over the U.S. have drownings and boating accidents and all mainly, I mean, the same reasons, right? It happens quite a bit. But this one's unusually large. And this one has a lot of unusual cases that stand out. Yeah. And also, you know, Georgia officials, they comment on this and they say like, well, Lake Lanier is really popular, which to me just it kind of falls a little short. Again, like so when we're researching this, we're seeing one off articles that describe drownings, boating accidents, times where people jump from a boat and then they never resurface and collisions of boats with kids. And we're going to talk about one such accident in a moment. But before we do, there were just a couple of deaths that really stood out as we were researching. And the first was William G. Doster, who drowned in 2011. He was fishing in waist deep water and he was standing still when all of a sudden he just slipped under the water and drowned. He didn't faint. He slipped under the water. Doesn't that sound strange to you? It just sounds weird. Right. It sounds strange. The only thing I could think of is like where we were saying where the depth just like all of a sudden changes. That's the only explanation that comes up in my head. Or there might be a spookier explanation that we'll talk about towards the end. And there's also Corey Brown, who was just 28 when he jumped into the lake to save his friend. And when he jumped into the water, you know, think about like you jumping into a lake. You're going to go under, right? At first, then you pop right back up. But he never popped back up. He didn't resurface. And that's something that we saw over and over again was that people went under the water but never resurfaced. And there doesn't seem to be a clear reason why that's been articulated. Some jumped off boats to swim. Others fell in after boating accidents. Some were just swimming and then went under and then didn't come back up. Yeah. And Lindsay, have you ever been in a lake where you cannot touch the bottom and you just have to swim without like any sort of vest or anything? No, that sounds terrifying. So I hadn't until last summer when we rented a boat 
and jumped into a lake, which again, me and lakes don't don't do well. But we all jumped in and thought, oh, like the little ladder on the boat will come down and then we'll be able to climb back onto the boat. No, our ladder was broken. And so the amount of strength that you need to have to be able to swim to shore with nothing helping you is way more than I ever would have thought because I go swimming all the time, right? I live in Arizona, pools, things like that. It is a much different scenario when there is literally not a side that you can just like rest on or a floaty or whatever. And that that was really stupid of us to not have a plan, right? And now like if we ever do that again, I'm like, we need this, 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 this. But it is significantly harder. And it's something that I know I hadn't thought about until last year when we did that. But for people that are going out, especially the summer, when they're swimming in lakes and rivers and things like that, without a life vest or without something to help, it is a lot more work than your everyday pool. It's a lot different of a swim. Yeah. And sometimes they're not comfortable and they're not aesthetic, but it is worth it to not die. When we were on vacation, you'll hear it in the end. I couldn't get into an inner tube to save my life. And I had a life vest on. So eventually I just abandoned said inner tube and was like, I'm just going to float on with my life vest on down the lazy river. Bob. We're going to bob down the river. Yeah, I was just going to bob down the river. Eventually, I convinced Amanda's husband to also abandon his inner tube that honestly was only a hindrance. It was only like holding him back. So we happily like bobbed down the river, but I wasn't like motionless. I was like moving my arms. And so honestly, for me, it felt like I swam for miles. I was like, oh my gosh, by the time we're done with it. And that was like minimal effort, right? But even that was a lot. And then the next day when we were swimming in the ocean, we had a snorkeling vest, which is significantly less secure feeling than like a full life fest that I had experienced the day before. And the ocean current was strong. Like they had like a little rope and I was like holding on to it like for dear life. And Ben's like, it's fine because he's a Florida baby. And I was like, it made me nervous. So like, I can't even imagine like what it would feel like to be kind of in the center. There's nothing to hold on to. You've drifted too fast, too far. And you have to get from point A to from point B. And there's nothing you could do, especially like if you're a recreational swimmer, you're not like diving all the time. You know, you're just having a good time and you're used to like pools and stuff. That's a way different vibe. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And like when you look at pictures of Lake Lanier, it is massive too. Like depending, especially on the area that you're in, it's a massive swim. Yeah. And so again, when we were looking through articles, it was just so many one-off articles and there's been so many accidents that are largely as a result of people just being kind of assholes to one another, right? Like, and not being careful enough with the other people that are around them. Yeah, one of the ones that we found was Usher's stepson, Kyle Glover, who was just 11 when he died after a boat crashed into his inner tube. Just so sad. And like, that happens though. Like, that happens a lot. I can even think when we were on the lake last year on my trip. And yeah, there's just boats everywhere. And like, everyone's doing their own thing. And so we were super careful for like, oh, a boat's nearby. We are going to go slow around them just in case. We don't know. But not everyone's like that. So many of the boating accidents happen because people are steering boats while they were drunk, which last weekend for us, we're, we're recording on the 7th, but 4th of July, I already saw several articles pop up, at least for near me, where that was the case. And what that's known as is boating under the influence. And another reason that there's a lot of accidents is people not having the appropriate training. And again, that was the case for us, too. They're like, oh, you want to run a boat? Here's five minutes of how to do this. Bye. We're like, great. <laughs> YouTube was definitely our friend that day. In 2013, the Kyle Glover Boat Education Law was passed in Georgia, which requires formal training for 
anyone born after 1998 to operate a boating vessel. Also in 2013, the Jake and Griffin Prince Boating Under the Influence Law passed, which lowered the legal blood alcohol limit while boating from 0.10 to 0.08. And Jake Prince, who was nine, and his brother Griffin, who was 13, died after a person who was operating a boat while intoxicated crashed into the family's pontoon boat. And that is horrifically sad. Yeah. So we talked about it before, but part of what makes Lake Lanier so sinister is the debris under the water. And that just makes it plain hazardous because there's so much under there. So if you mix that with the ongoing accumulation of debris from boating accidents, I would imagine that this gets worse and worse each year. Yeah. And so when we talked about earlier that it's hard to search for bodies, that's part of the reason is because when people are having these accidents, when people are going into a deeper section than they anticipated, they're having a hard time finding them because of this debris. And so often when people go missing, they'll be found at least a day later. There's a change.org petition calling for the lake to be shut down for recreational activities. And it's from a few years ago. But in the petition, they claim that there are two dozen deaths per year, at least, and that there were as many as 27 people who had not yet been recovered from the lake after having gone missing there. Additionally, there are claims of spontaneous boat fires. And in case you're not already like, yikes, I don't think I'm going to swim there. Uh, An experienced diver, Buck Buchanan, told a local news station, you reach out into the dark and you feel an arm or a leg and it doesn't move. No fucking thank you. So my biggest fear, right, are claims (laughs) that there are massive catfish in the lake. And there's several different claims. Some say as big as a car. And then another one that I saw was as big as a very specific 12 year old boy that is an unsettling specific unit of measurement and i don't appreciate it i don't i'm just hoping that like the diver who said a 12 year old boy maybe had a 12 year old boy is like it's about as big as my son it's still weird like how old is your son minus six do you measure things in six-year-old boys sometimes i'll be like it's two ollies big Oh, it looks like 3.6. That's three alleys. That's three alleys wide. Yeah, it's just a weird thing to do. I mean, being silly, but I probably wouldn't tell a news outlet. It was as big as a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> no, it was as big as my son, who you don't know, who isn't present right now. Yeah. Like, that's not helpful. And that's just me hoping that they had a 12-year-old boy, not that they just decided that was a unit of measurement. <laughs> yeah, it's way weirder if they don't have kids. It's way weirder. If you ask me any sort of thing of measurement now, I'm just going to make shit up and say, that's about three 12-year-old boys. Oh, absolutely. You know what it is? Anything but the metric system. (laughs) Well, it's like, you know, it's interesting because, right, like, you know how when humans are pregnant and they have the apps that are like, your baby's the size of a ripe avocado. Your baby's the size of an average cabbage. You've got a burrito. Your baby is one quarter the size of a 12-year-old boy. What? Like, just, I want I want to continue to describe children in relation to their size in with food. Like, your toddler is as tall as a jumbo pixie stick. Yeah, I would never give him one, ever. He's going to receive a very long package in the mail. <laughs> No. <laughs> Every time I say that, I, I, I forget. And then like a week later, I'm going to get a weird package. <laughs> Don't say it around Ben. Ben's going to hear this and he's going to buy him so many pixie sticks. 
No, thank you. He's going to receive a very long package in the mail. Uh, So far, I've gotten strange masks and I've gotten a gallon of molasses. (laughs) I forgot about that. Oh, we didn't. Also, because of that molasses, whenever uh, we send Amanda gifts or her family, we put like Mrs. Molasses, Mr. Molasses, Little Molasses. So then they know it's a gift for that person for upcoming holidays. Not that I mail anything on any reasonable timeline. Amanda got her Christmas present with her birthday present. And I was like, and open them both right now (laughs) because I, I got you a gift. You must open it now. And I loved them. I loved them all. Anywho, back to like Lanier. <laughs> so yeah, anything but the metric system is what we're, we're gathering. So the terrifying catfish are said to live deep in the waters below the Buford Dam. And they're so big that some experienced divers have... Ref- Hold on, wait, I'm sorry. I just need to go back to this real quick. A car or a 12-year-old boy? Because is this the same fish? No. Those are two vastly different sizes. We need to go back because it's clicking just now in my head that it's a car or a 12-year-old boy. And those are two very different sizes because a 12-year-old boy isn't even the size of a dirt bike. Like, what? Now you're <laughs> that's your dirt bikes. Like, what brand of dirt bike? Like, what? what's your exact one? We did it off air, but we figured out that my note said car. Amanda said 12. I, I saw an urban legend and mixed it into this section because we were talking about the big catfish. So it's not a car the size of a 12-year-old boy or a 12-year-old boy the size of a car. It's two differing sizes that have been suggested. But also, I will say, of the two, I would prefer to describe something the size of a car as opposed to a prepubescent boy. Like, it just, it feels less creepy. It does. It very much does. So some of the experienced divers have refused to go back into the water once they have seen the size of these fish. Okay, fair. And that that would definitely be me. I'd be like, oh, we're snorkeling? Nope, never again. Never again. There's a local tale about a truck that was carrying live chickens that drove off the Thompson Bridge in the 80s. And it just makes me sad. I'm already like, these poor chickens. But the truck sank to the bottom. And then divers dove down to look at the wreckage of the truck. And it was pretty fresh when it happened because that's, well, one, who claimed that the fish was the size of a 12-year-old boy. But two, when the divers got to the wreckage, they saw catfish swallowing the chickens whole. No, thank you. (laughs) I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it. No, I couldn't even handle the like, what, one inch fish that was like coming up to me. I'm like, please don't touch me. (laughs) I do not appreciate that. That's too big of a fish. If you saw a fish the size of a 12 year old boy, I think that you would have flipped the fuck out. I mean, also, literally anybody would like anybody would be like, this is too big of a fish, especially for like a lake, a man made lake. You expect that nonsense in like the creepy parts of the ocean, not in recreational lakes that were man made. Yes, that's why I clung to that raft and I was not getting out. She wasn't. So we're going to leave Amanda's least favorite topic and talk about her most favorite topic, which is ghosts. Ooh. And I did say I would have rather ghosts be in where we were than the fish. I'd be like, hey, ghost. Honestly, there could have been both. Maybe. So one of the ghosts that has been seen pretty regularly is that of a woman in a flowing blue dress. Some people note that she has no hands. Per the legend, in April of 1958, a Ford sedan with two women lost control and went over the Dawsonville Highway Bridge that was over Lake Lanier. 
and it was one of the women that was haunting the bridge. So per Ted Garner at Brunel University, he provided incredible detail about this that I've seen used all over the place. And so originally I was like, okay, this sounds a lot like the bunny man where we're using names and we're using pseudo witnesses and we're using pseudo facts to make it seem credible, but it's going to get more credible when we get to the end. So hang with me. So in April of 1958, Susie Roberts picked her friend up in her 1954 blue Ford for a night in the town. Susie's friend, Delia Parker Young, worked at the Riverside Military Academy, and she had borrowed a blue dress that evening. And the two of them were on their way to the Three Gables in Dawsonville. So after they left the bar, they went to a gas station that was nearby and they left without paying. So the women go missing. They don't return home. And when they look at the road near the bridge, there were skid marks. And it looked as if the car had crossed the center line and then went off the side of the road. They didn't really know why. When they searched for the car, they couldn't find it. So fast forward 18 months and C.A. Simpson is fishing under the Dawsonville Highway Bridge in Lake Lanier when a body floats up. It had dentures, so they weren't able to identify it from the teeth. And there were also some interesting things about it. There were no hands and there were two toes missing from the right foot. Catfish. So the remains were buried at the Alta Vista Cemetery in an unmarked grave because they weren't sure if it was one of the women and if so, which one. So then, in November of 1990, more evidence was found when the bridge underwent some repairs. The 1954 blue sedan was found and the remains of a woman were found inside. And from what I understand, I couldn't tell if the remains of the clothing that I'm going to talk about in a moment were on her or were close to the body. But there were remnants of a sweater and a slip. There was also a purse that had jewelry and sunglasses. And it was the things in the purse that they used to identify the body as Susie because it had, I want to think it was like a watch that was hers. And given that they're saying that's what they, one of the things that they used to identify it as Susie, I think that she may have been still wearing it. Susie was then also buried at Alta Vista Cemetery. And then the grave that had been previously left unmarked was marked as Delia. And some say that Delia still wanders the bridge at night in a blue dress and people call her the lady of the lake. Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. And it's also so sad. I'm curious as to what happened that night. Why did they go off the bridge? There are some things that are leading up to it that seem very peculiar. Right. Like what actually caused the accident. And there's also some other spooky ass things that happen. People hear ghost screams. Nope. I don't like hearing screams in general, like let alone something I can't see. People have also reported seeing just arms reaching up from the depths of Lake Lanier. And other creepy sounds coming from beneath the water. I just saw creepy sounds and I my mind is a flutter with what that could be. I would imagine it would be like metallic scraping, right? Or like things hitting metal. And then there's also reports of a shadow apparition who appears on a raft with a lantern that uses a pole to move himself around. Nope, 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 nope. I don't feel like, like, already I don't want to go to this lake, right? Nah. Seems like a bad idea, like a bad time. Just seems, just seems not worth it. Not worth it at all. So let's talk about a cryptid, right? Because everywhere needs a cryptid. We love a cryptid. Everywhere. So this one is the fish man, or I've seen him referred to as fish head. Amanda, have you heard the song that goes in the morning laughing happy fish heads in the evening floating in the soup what are you doing you haven't heard this song no are you making it up <laughs> oh no this is like a, a well is this a maryland thing is this a weird maryland thing 
I mean, it could be. I don't know. But there's like a music video and everything. Like, I think my cousin Patty showed it to me when we were younger. I don't know. She's like one of the only other people who I know who like knows this song. What's it from? Uh, It's from a band called Barnes and Barnes. It's from the 70s. But it's also anytime I search this, I'm just seeing dead fish and it's making me real sad. Yeah. Well, the video is dead fish. It's like it goes fish heads, fish heads, roly poly fish heads, fish heads, fish heads, eat them up. Yum. I took a fish head out to see a moo. Why? We didn't have to pay to get it in. <laughs> what? I don't know, man. I don't know. No. I'm just, it's music, man. But anyway, that's. <laughs> okay. You say fish head, I have to sing the song. Okay. Okay. Hardwired into who I am. Like if you say dimension, I have to go another dimension, another dimension. I normally pause. Like I wait because I, I expect it. Yeah. Now you know. Well, now you know if you say fish head, I'm going to begin singing it again. All right. It's, it's probably going to happen. It's probably going to happen. <laughs> so here's the legend. And this is this is a real weird one because you know how you were saying like, oh, pseudonames and things like that. There's several parts of the story where I'm like, how do they know that happened? Yeah. Who witnessed this? <laughs> but let's get started. So a pregnant woman was walking along the shore of Six Mile Creek. And that's an area where it empties into the lake. And a catfish popped up near the shore and it scared her. I'm assuming because it was the size of a 12 year old boy and or car. (laughs) (laughs) So much so. So she was so scared. She had the baby right there. How far along was she? I also immediately forgot that she was pregnant and was like, like an Umbrella Academy situation. (laughs) Maybe. It didn't say. It didn't say how far along. And I only could find this legend in like obscure sites. Just gasp. Surprise. (laughs) I couldn't find like a whole, you know, like a lot of cryptids have like people that have dedicated so much research and time. This was like, here's the legend. And they were all very similar. So have at it. This is it. So the baby was born resembling a catfish for some reason. What if when babies are born, like rather than looking like either biological parent, they just took the form of like whatever creature was closest. Like (laughs) you just had to like make sure that you like gave birth next to like aesthetically pleasing, I guess. I mean, apparently. Could you imagine? That's not how babies work. But okay, this definitely sounds like it was made by like a child that doesn't understand how babies come to be. But continue. I've got only comments as we go. So so, so let's describe this child, okay? So it had small beady eyes and his mouth resembled a fish and it was a described as a lipless slit. Please don't ever say lipless slit to me ever again. <laughs> right, writing these notes, I'm just like, oh man, like, all right. <laughs> so the child had no hair and it never grew and skin was pale and gray. Fucking hideous. All I think of is when you became a fish and your, your part got three inches. That was me. But I didn't have a lipless slit. <laughs> I... Even honestly, even the word slit makes me feel so dirty. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't like saying it. Uh, yeah, no, no. It was a it was a weird story. OK, so the child had webbed hands and feet and the child was then known to the locals as Fishhead. 
fish head, fish head, roly poly fish head, fish head, fish head, eat them up, y'all. Uh, yeah, you didn't think you didn't think I was gonna keep it up, but I am. Oh, I paused. I paused. I was ready. <laughs> so the kid had a rough childhood. But he wait, 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 wait. Okay, I just need to backtrack for a moment. Mm-hmm. Beady eyes. Yep. <laughs> Lipless slit. <laughs> okay, you know what it was. Okay, when you said he had no hair and it never grew, I read it as the baby never grew. Oh. So that this was like a 12-year-old baby as a lipless lift. <laughs> no, no. And because of being ridiculed, he played alone in the woods along the back of Six Mile Creek. And for what the story said is that he liked to fish, which seemed a little strange to me. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking weird. <laughs> And he'd also play with the animals in the area because they were the only ones that would accept him. And because he was ridiculed and made fun of and all of that, he did not attend school. And then sadly, his mother died when he was a teen. And after she died, he ended up moving to the woods near the lake. What I saw, he established a home in the rocks. So I'm thinking like where the lake or the the area backed up into the rocks is where he decided he'd live. That feels very uncomfortable. And it does. It does. It you know, he did what he did. <laughs> he did what he did. <laughs> so <laughs> the community would see him occasionally. <laughs> he did what he did. <laughs> I don't know who witnessed this, okay? Like, there's no witnesses. <laughs> there's no witnesses. He did what he did. <laughs> I, I want you to draw him with his lipless slit. Oh, I don't, I don't think I, I don't want to do that. And then he did what he did. <laughs> if you don't think I'm making a t-shirt design right now, then you are, ju- then you don't know me at all. <laughs> so. The community would see him occasionally, and I'm assuming in this rock area for whatever reason. And rumors began to circulate that there was a monster living in the lake. So two men decided to go and capture him so that they could create a sideshow to make money. They set out in a boat and they had approached where he had last been seen. They heard a splash. And then a few minutes later, both men disappeared. Okay, okay. Their bodies were never recovered. But the boat was later found with claw marks on its side. And people described it uh, as the boat looked like an animal grabbed the side and then turned the boat over. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. But the part that I'm like, were they watching? Because they heard a splash and then they both disappeared forever. So like, who told people about the splash? I have questions. I have questions. I need to. Maybe he did. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he wrote it down. And he lived to tell the tale. Yeah. So locals have said that they've heard strange sounds in the area and have seen unexplainable movements in the woods and in the water. And they warn people to not go in the area at night. I mean, wasn't going to already, (laughs) right? Well, I was looking up Six Mile Creek because I was like, what is that now? And it looks like it's like a small park and there is an area to dock your boat there. I don't like it and I don't want to like it. 
nope, nope, nope. You know, like I just, I don't want it. That is just going to haunt me. That's going to haunt me. I mean, it's not surprising that the internet is a flutter with discussion of Lake Lanier. Most people who are commenting on it are like, why are people going there? That's a question I also have. Amanda also found an interesting skeleton rumor. Yeah, they were saying that there have been talks of people being held under the water by a skeleton. I don't appreciate that. I don't appreciate that at all. No, 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 no. That makes me wildly uncomfortable. Well, would you go uh, <laughs> tubing down the lake? No, I'm not going there. That seems silly. Like, <laughs> if someone was like, oh, do you want to go hang out in this lake where 700 people have died? I'd be like, I feel like I'm good. Right. I don't even need anything more than that. I don't need to know anything else. That many people have died. I'm good. Right. I'm done. I'm done. But the thing is, like, when I was saying at the beginning... I'm assuming people don't know because if you just Google, right, like Lake Lanier, Georgia, and just Google image search, it looks like this beautiful lake that kind of looks inviting, right? Like you don't see all the debris we talked about. You don't see any of that. See, I don't look at it and go, oh, yay. I just I look at it and I'm like, mm. I mean, me, I hate lakes. So, yeah, but I mean, it's it's pretty. I'm not going to say it's not pretty. It's pretty. Um, At least, you know, like I said, Google image searches, the first ones that come up look like a pretty lake, right? Like, I don't see anything weird. But then when you dive into it, you're like, oh, why would anyone want to come here? It does not sound like a fun time. No, no, it doesn't sound like a fun time at all. So you're not going to Lake Lanier is what I'm hearing. I am not going to there. If you live in Georgia and you've been to the lake, let us know. Let us know your thoughts. Did you feel weird when you went there? Did you like feel creepy feelings? Uh, Did you have a good time? Would you go if you do live in the area? Going back after you've heard this? Are you going back? If you like if you've been there and like now that you know, are you like the fuck? And also because we're just talking about Georgia, right? Something that happened yesterday is the Georgia Guidestones were blown up. I did not think that that would happen. I don't necessarily think they needed to stay, but from what I understand, it wasn't a planned explosion. It was some people are calling it terrorism. Some people are super hyped about it. But either way, like a thing is gone. Yeah. Yep. There's video footage, too, that they put out. So if you want to look at it, there's a car that pulls up and then after drives away. We will cover more if anything comes up from it in our next True Crime Digest. Yeah. Today is our next Patreon only game night. So if you're a Patreon, be sure to I hope you've RSVP'd. If not, drop us a line. Let us know if you're coming. Uh, And if you aren't a Patreon yet, there's still time to join if you'd like to join tonight's fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. While we were on vacation, one of the employees was calling me a bruja, then calling Lindsay a queen, or my queen, specifically. Uh, yes, he greeted us both as sexy queens, but then every time he saw us, to me specifically, it was like, my queen. And I was like, thank you. Because we went to an all-inclusive, so like there was like similar people working in different sections, and what an honor. You're a queen, I'm a bruja. You know, it works. <laughs>
<laughs> my husband, I was like, excuse me. This is the greeting I could be getting. Ben's like one of his pet peeves is when couples call each other king and queen. So this was like very specific, like just funny to me because <laughs> like Ben's never going to be like my queen, like literally never. Like he would probably sooner die than do that. <laughs> I facetiously said like my king to him just because I know it bothers him. And part of marriage is annoying your spouse. Like that's the main part, I thought. Yeah, that's remember we're in the pool and we're like, oh, they look comfortable. I should poke them. I should bother them. Somehow make them fall down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not the fall down part, because for me, it's very easy to fall down or off of things or to be, never be able to fully get on an inner tube or <laughs> to think that I finally did get on an inner tube and I grab it with both hands and I'm like, I've got it. And then I immediately shoot down into the water and almost drown because my mouth was open because I was screaming in delight. Not a very specific personal instance, just a hypothetical thing that could happen. And one of my favorite parts of the trip, by the way. <laughs> She went to take a picture of me, like, in this moment, because there was just so much joy on my face. And then she was gone. I was gone. I was gone. And, like, I, the, the, just the speed with which I went shooting out of this inner tube into this lazy river was just insane. I also learned that Amanda's never going to be comfortable with things that are alive other than other humans. I should say that. Uh <laughs> being in the water in which she's swimming yeah i don't like it we were in a cenote and i was like look there's fish and she like like you would have thought that i said that there was like a shark in there with us like her face went like super fucking pale and she was like what and she's looking at these like tiny little fish they're just like hello ma'am and like are just like swimming around just like with such terror in her face you know, I've brought it up a million times on here. I do not like lakes. I don't like lakes. I don't like rivers. But you know what? I was great at snorkeling and I'm fine with that. I don't know why. But a lake and river versus like the ocean, it makes no sense. No, but I will say there's no part of bodies of water in nature that are the human space. But in my head, the difference between the ocean and fish and lakes and rivers and fish is that oceans... The fish are like, that's the human space up there. And they're a little bit lower. Like they're generally not like swimming near the surface. But in lakes and rivers, they're chilling near the top in what would seem like a place where humans could be. Maybe. I mean, when I was, we, we went snorkeling in Cancun and it was a blast. Lindsay learned that she needs to practice snorkeling more. <laughs> Same with my husband who was like drowning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> like, yeah what we learned is that i think amanda is married to me as a man <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't realize mike's like history and i'm uncoordinated like mike and i are falling off of everything just completely unable to like function at times <laughs> and amanda and better like are you okay and we're like inner tubes are hard <laughs> They're really not. They're not at all. This had like, it was like a perfect you inner tube with like a little place to sit on. And both of them just, it was just like asking them to like do rocket science. Like, okay, I will say it was for me, this is what I'm going to blame it on. It was the initial sit because 
this lazy river was like had you moving like it wasn't like we were like sitting still like it was like truly moving us along and they didn't there wasn't a lot of buffer between us and the group of people behind us and there was like a lovely couple behind us who were so probably thinking like this is gonna be a moment like we're gonna have a cute little lazy river moment together and I ruined that (laughs) by just being like completely relentless in my pursuits at first to get into this inner tube in moving water when the ground was slippery and it was too deep for me to like jump onto something and there's no riverbanks I can get to. We were in the noodle forest. We were in what under trees that did look like noodles. Photos will be shown. And I'm like throwing myself into this while being like very just happy to be there. And frankly, a little loud about my failures. (laughs) You know what, though? I got in first into this tube and they let me go like a while before they decided to get in. But I was like, I will sit awkwardly in this tube as long as I need to. So the fish do not touch me. Oh, yeah, that's true. Amanda was like, she she was treating that inner tube like it was like the last thing standing between like her and like, like terrifying sea creatures. Yeah. You were kind of white knuckling it. Like now that I'm thinking about it, you were like, yeah, really holding on. (laughs) Well, so like, okay, I will be on this until I die. (laughs) I'm failing, flailing, and I'm loud about it because it's it is to me objectively funny that I cannot do this. I'm not going to be down on myself. I'm just simply not a coordinated person. The men behind us did not like us. They were like such a cute little moment. They were holding hands. They were very sweet. They probably had a picture of what this was going to be. And I ruined it. I'm so sorry, men who are in our photos looking very displeased. (laughs) And also speaking of our photos, we're going to post what is the worst picture of me that has ever existed? Are we? Oh, we're going to post it. I jumped off a cliff into the water. I felt very brave. I'm very afraid of heights. So this was like a big deal for me. But... It doesn't look like I'm having fun. It doesn't look like I'm me, at least the version of me that I am familiar with, because I don't know why I have no hair in the center of my head. Like, and I'm not being like cute. Like, it looks like I have a three inch part and I don't have a three inch part. I also have like, it's like a dark black to brown and then green. And so it's not like it's light where you could just not see it. It fully looks like I'm bald. I'm making <laughs> what can only be described as like a pained face. <laughs> like it's 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 a picture. I was like scrolling through Amanda's photos because she took our photos because she's the adult of us who could like keep her phone in the waterproof thing and not break it. I don't trust myself to do it. I can't even get an inner tube. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, look, look, there's me like jumping off the cliff. Great. Like I was like, oh, I'd like to see like what I look like. And I zoom in and I'm like, oh, is... <laughs> Is this is this what I am? Is this who I am? Because I that's not how I see myself. I look like Danny DeVito in as the penguin. And I'm again, I am not exaggerating, am I? No. It's it's a bad picture. It's (laughs) like immediately my husband like grabs the phone and is like screenshot sent to self. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like he zoomed in, screenshot. But yeah, we will have so many trip stories that will probably be littered throughout the next hundred episodes. But yes, yes. It was a great time. Terrifying fish. And then tame fish in the ocean that I was fine with coming up to us. Yeah, because they were not in the people space. 
No. I was afraid to even like swim at one point because I was afraid I'd like touch them because there was a school of the little stripy guys that came up. Like where we were? Mm-hmm. I never saw that. I was too busy being uncomfortable in my goggles and swallowing seawater. <laughs> That's pretty much what her and Mike were doing the entire time. As I'm like, look at these beautiful things happening. Look at these statues underwater. And then they're drowning. Which was also very cool. Well, like, okay, at one point there was a photographer that was like part of this excursion. I don't know where those photos are. No one does. I, he, no one ever came up to us to ask. And that's because I'm assuming I've ruined them. But like, mind you, this is the day after I see the photos that were taken after I jumped off the cliff. And also all photos before and after that, I look miserable. I look like I'm having a terrible time, but this was like the best vacation of my life. And so... I am like purposefully smiling in all of the photos, but it doesn't, it, again, I'm looking very unhappy because I'm like, Amanda's camera's out. I am going to look terrible if I don't smile. And like, as I force myself to smile right now. <laughs> but so there's a photographer and he goes under, like when I go under and he startles me because he's swimming at me, right? And so then I start choking on seawater because he like holds his camera at me and I smile. <laughs> That breaks the seal of the snorkel, Lindsay. So then I started choking on seawater. So like, I'm just envisioning what those photos must look like as well. Beautiful. A vision. He's probably like, you know what? Something happened to the memory card. They don't want these. They don't want these. Like, I'm so unphotogenic that like, I'm now just like, you know what? It is what it is. That's who I am. I did meet a monkey named Justin Bieber that was very cute and crawled on me at Tulum, which was a dream, a treasure, a delight. Oh, man. Actually, we could. We are going to do an episode about some of the stories that we heard of the area and some of the strange happenings in the area. So we're not going to give too much away. But we did. We explored. Yeah, we had a really fun time. We had people telling us about things. We we also were like, tell us your spooky stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fucking fish. <laughs> size of a ripe avocado. Your baby's the size of an average cabbage. You've got a burrito. Lindsay, spread your flaps. Benji told me to spread my flaps one moment. <laughs>